She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you very much, my fellow Americans. I am very proud to announce today that we have reached a deal to end the shutdown and reopen the federal government. In a short while, I will sign a bill to open our government for three weeks until February 15th. I am asking Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to put this proposal on the floor immediately. Over the next 21 days, I expect that both Democrats and Republicans will operate in good faith. This is an opportunity for all parties to work together for the benefit of our whole beautiful, wonderful nation. And now, Stacey Washington. Well, they said they wanted uh, the president to work with them. They said they wanted a chance to sit down and make what would perhaps be a bipartisan piece of legislation, which we all know they just want to sit down and maybe talk about some drones and that's it. No, no actual border wall. They can't have the flow of illegal immigrants coming into this country interrupted in any way because they're trying to bring about substantive demographic change. That's what the Democrats are here for. Uh, this hour of the program, we're going to be speaking with Chris Woodward from OneNewsNow.com's news director over there, and he's always fantastic when he joins the program. Excited to speak with him. Let's go back to the phones. If you held over, thank you so much. And if you want to join us, you're welcome to call in 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Tammy in Kansas, thank you for calling the show today. Hi. Thank you for Hello. taking my call. Sure. Um, gosh, there's a hundred things I want to say, but I just want to point out one thing. I am so glad that the president has decided to do the union, the State of the Union address. And I was listening to what you were saying about in the news media and how they, you know, have just told blatant out lies to people. And finally, he gets a chance to set it straight. Unfortunately, I think people on the other side are so against them that it, they're they're either probably not going to watch or not going to believe anything that he says. Well, I mean, I think one of the things that happened was today in the press conference at the Rose Garden, a lot of people were listening that wouldn't normally listen. Now, you know what, Tammy? Let's let's be real here. People who are completely and utterly deceived by the Democrats, they could literally be on the southern border and see women and children getting dragged across against their own will. And they would say, well, that doesn't look like it's a lot of people, so it doesn't matter. They would make an excuse. It, it, and for people like that, it doesn't matter what the president says. We could be invaded like on uh, that movie with Will Smith from 20 years ago, Independence Day, where the aliens literally show up in saucer-sized uh, spaceships that are as big as American cities, and they could be killing people from on high, and Democrats would still say, but we still need to keep the southern border open. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Some people are deceived. But there are millions of Americans who really want to understand why the president is, is so dead set on sealing the southern border and I agree with you. The State of the Union is going to be a great opportunity for him to speak to those people. And we don't need to convince everybody. We just need to get the wall done by hook or by crook. And I'm not saying that we should be dishonest, but we definitely need to get it done. Um, thank you so much for calling the show. I'm, 
I'm on Twitter and I'm looking to see if they're allowing it to trend. Ah, here it is. It is trending. Rose Garden and Trump Address are both trending. Now let's see. Okay. People are tweeting about the president, you know, that they support him um, and that there obviously there are some people on here who don't support the president, which by a way, um, the president has 57.7 million followers. Not bad. Not bad. Um, there's, there's a lot of people laughing and acting as if he, he lost. I think it's probably, you know, to be expected that people would behave this way, but If you think it's winning for the president to um, to have to go back to the Democrats and negotiate over something that they have voted for in the past over and over and over again, uh, if you think that's winning, then, mm, you know, okay. If you think that there's a, a lot of lies going on from the Democrats, then... Yeah, you're probably pretty accurate on that. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of looking at this Twitter and all these all these different tweets that are going on, and it's a little bit distracting. Um, so I want to get back to the show sheet. Now I spoke a little bit about this new wealth tax that Nancy Pelosi is is proposing, and this is super important because she says something here that I'm, I want to see if you catch it the way I caught it when I was listening. Something stuck out to me as being very disturbing. Here she is in number two talking about this new wealth tax on people who make or have more than a certain amount of millions of dollars in assets. It's number two. It's not about the number. Here's how I look, here's how I look at, at uh, budgets and taxes are, are at the heart of this. A lot of people think they're just numbers. They're not. They are the expression of our values. The values of the Republican Party that passed those tax cuts to give a trillion and a half dollars away to the richest Americans and the biggest corporations and let everybody else pick up the crumbs. And I don't think that's the right way to think about it. What's too high for the top personal rate? It's, it's not about a number. That's what negotiations are all about. It's, it's 50% obviously too high? Look, there was a time in a very prosperous America, uh, an America that was growing a middle class, an America in which working families were doing better generation after generation after generation, where the top marginal rate was well above 50%. It's 90%. That's exactly right. But for me, the, the heart of the question is that you've got to ask, what constitutes a fair share in this economy? Right. And, and look, it depends in part on what the economy is. It also depends... But it depends doesn't strike you as obviously, no, 90%, that's ridiculous, can't be that. that no, is, I'm, look, 90%, yes, 90% sounds pretty shockingly yeah. high. Yeah. But what I'm trying to get at is this is not about negotiating mm -hmm. over specific numbers. So she doesn't want to be too specific. And that's Elizabeth Warren, not Nancy Pelosi. Elizabeth Warren, presidential candidate. She's come out with this new wealth tax. And it's interesting the response it's gotten. A lot of the Democrats who are currently, you know, doing a love, it's like a mambo dance they're doing where they inch in and then they inch back out. And they're, they're toying with socialism. And they're like, if you call it democratic socialism, it's better. It's more palatable. It's 
could work. It could work if we just rename it, but it's the same thing. The government owns the means in production and controls how much of your money you get to keep so we can make sure that the people who really deserve the money can get it. Now, look at the current system that we have. We have progressive taxation already. Do the people who deserve the money get it now? I mean, we're currently, you know, you take all the states together and average it out. You get between forty and $50,000 a year in benefits from the U.S. government and American taxpayers if you're in poverty. So if you make less than $9,000 a year, you're considered to be in abject poverty. And what the government does is they give you housing vouchers and food cards and EBT cards, and they give you ma- medical insurance, and they give you payments for your kids, and give you free child care, and uh, they'll even give you, uh, you know, the, the ability to get catch a ride on a, on a bus to and from your workplace and they do all of that to make sure that you're not living in abject poverty, that you don't have, you know, no running water and, and no food and starving to death, et cetera. And so you end up going from nine grand a year or less to fifty to sixty thousand a year. In Hawaii, it's over sixty grand a year in benefits that you get if you're poor. Now remember the median income for a household of four in America is fifty six thousand. Or sorry, fifty seven thousand. It's gone up from fifty five to fifty seven. So fifty seven thousand. So in some states, welfare recipients actually get more from the taxpayers than people who are earning a living and supporting a family of four. (laughs) That's the median, meaning half of Americans make more and half make less than the median family of four. And she's saying we need to take more money from rich people. And I get it. If you just sit down and you're a simpleton and you think, wow, a rich family that has a net worth of $50 million, let's say, that family could take that $50 million and they could lift 5,000 families out of poverty, right? But what do you know about what they're doing with their money? Most families that are in that income bracket are there because they own a business. And so they are lifting families out of poverty by providing people with jobs. And the people who are working in those jobs are working and earning a living and not in poverty. So if you start taking away the wealth of the, of the people who have it, you're literally taking away jobs and resources. But we don't have to imagine what would happen because it's already happened in certain states where progressive taxation has given way to abject idiocy. And it's funny that we were just talking about Liz Warren, Chief Pocahontas herself, Nobel Prize winning economist Robert Schiller actually says that Elizabeth Warren is harming her potential with proposed wealth tax because Connecticut is an example of what happens when you do silly stuff like this. It's number four. Do you know the recent book by Shiv and Stasavi? Yes, of course. In that book, they researched over 20 countries, some of them up to 200 years, and they looked at what triggers rises in uh, uh, taxes on the wealthy. Uh, you would think that taxes on the wealthy would go up when inequality gets worse. Mm-hmm. No, that is not the, that's not history. Instead, taxes on the wealthy go up during wartime. Right. And in wartime, the ordinary people are suddenly heroes. And it, it, it's felt completely, it, it, it's, taxes are raised to finance the war and also to repay the war debts. That is a well, that is an environment where you can do this. But right now, I think that Elizabeth okay. Warren has just harmed her potential uh, by, by bringing a proposal that's not going to be popular. I would-
uh, yeah, the popu that's my state. <laughs> the population is declining. We don't see any new houses being built. <laughs> that's because the population is going down. And it, uh, yeah, there, now there is a problem with the wealth tax, which you're alluding to, is that people leave. They take their business elsewhere. So they do have uh, an answer for that. I saw Elizabeth Warren in another interview talking about how in order to stop Americans who are worth 50 million or more from renouncing their citizenship, she would institute a one-time tax on anyone who had a certain wealth. Uh, so let's say you're worth 50 million and you hear about this new tax that's being implemented she would implement the new tax plus a tax on renouncing your citizenship. So if you renounce your citizenship and you don't have 50 million, it wouldn't uh, uh, impact you at all. But if you're renouncing your, your citizenship to stop them from taking your money, they would take it anyway. That's who these people are. Now, and remember yesterday I shared with you, and if you just tuned in today, hey, welcome to the program. Elizabeth Warren's worth $8 million. So before she starts talking about taking other people's money, why doesn't she take her, some of her $8 million? Why doesn't she say, I'm going to start off by taxing myself, my own wealth first. I'm going to sell my huge palatial mansion, and I'm going to move into a place that's fitting for two people and some pets, you know, and my beer. And she could be in a condo someplace. She, she could pay a half a million dollars for a condo and still have multiple millions left over because her home is worth multiple millions of dollars and she could give that to the poor. Then she could liquidate her $8 million in, in net worth and she could keep some for herself to make sure that when she retires, you know, she still has a nest egg for her and her husband and then she could give the rest to the poor. But have you noticed it's her, it's Bernie Sanders, all of these people, they want to rule over you. They want to be able to tell you what to do with your money, but they're not going to do anything with their own. Another thing, when, when rich people find out you're coming for their money, they put it offshore. They liquidate it and they, they do, they, whatever they need to do to protect it, they already know what to do. So what they end up doing is implementing these taxes on the upper echelons. And then when they don't get the money that they expected to get, they just allow that taxation to trickle on down to people like you and me. So if you're doing any way, any, any kind of good with yourself, taking care of yourself, taking care of your family, earning a little bit of money, setting a bit of money aside, you're next. That's why we're opposed to it. That's why you see Republicans like myself, and I am in no way, means, shape or form a millionaire, fighting to stop this type of stuff because in the end it's our wallets they'll have their hands all stuck up in we'll have chris woodward when we get back from onenewsnow.com stay there here's american family association president tim wildman Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA. We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry. When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean laundry detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. 
Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Earlier this month, I turned on the Tucker Carlson television program and heard him deliver a monologue that lasted nearly 15 minutes. It became the monologue heard around the conservative world, and nearly every commentator has had negative things to say about his comments. But I want to do just the opposite. Sure, there were things that he said that were incorrect or overstated, but I want to affirm many of the things he said that were right on target and lost in some of the critical comments about his commentary. A few minutes after criticizing Utah Senator Mitt Romney, he wonders why we have so many deaths of despair in a country where the economy is booming and many people are doing well financially. He says bluntly, anyone who thinks the health of a nation can be summed up in GDP is an idiot. The real goal for America, he believes, should not be more prosperity. The goal should be happiness. The key ingredients might be such things as dignity, self-control, independence, and deep relationships with other people. Many of his critics say Carlson gets off track by blaming the elites and promoting a type of victimhood populism. While that may be true, don't miss his accurate diagnosis. If more material goods would make us happy, then Americans should be some of the happiest people on the planet. They should be the happiest people in the history of the world. The median family income for Americans is the highest ever, even when adjusted for inflation. Yet we're lonely and depressed. Drug overdose deaths are at an all-time high, and these pathologies are not only in urban America, but also in rural America. Politics and government policies aren't going to change this dysfunction. These are cultural and spiritual problems. Tucker Carlson's diagnosis is generally accurate, and we Christians know there's only one answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From SkyPass Entertainment, The Least of These, The Graham Stain Story, The Least of These, rated PG-13, in theaters February 1st, The Least of These dot movie. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Happy Friday. Thank you for joining us and thank you for um, subscribing and keeping up with us online social media. We're really grateful for you doing that. Um, right now, it's my pleasure to welcome frequent guests to the program. He's from our family, uh, American Family Association, onenewsnow.com. It's Chris Woodward. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. Glad to be back. Thank you very much. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. So um, a lot of people are wailing and gnashing their teeth because they say the president got, uh, you know, slapped in the face by Nancy Pelosi. Mm -hmm. He didn't get anything that he wanted. I tend to look at things differently, uh, mainly because I understand that sometimes in order to get what you want, you might have to, you know, almost bow down or or um, kind of in, on, on the surface, it looks like you're losing. Right. But in the long run, you're winning. What did you make of today's announcement? Well, I was surprised. Uh, it, it I thought if he would have, I'll say, caved, uh, he would have done so prior to this point or much earlier than he did today. At this point, I thought he had you know clearly locked his heels in and he was going to stay firm here. But today was the. The day for like, I guess, the second round of paychecks for government employees. And he did talk about the hardships and he made he said he would make sure uh, they would get all the back pay. Talking about uh, maybe who had won. I saw some some tweets from various people. And these are just general folks on Twitter 
Um, you know, somebody had mentioned that Nancy Pelosi should come out with a book called The Art of the Steal, How I Stole and Got Everything I Wanted from Donald Trump for Free, uh, things like that. Just as, as kind of a, a joking way of doing things, I did a completely unscientific poll on Twitter. It's still going. You can vote. Mm-hmm. And I said, who won, President Trump, Democrats, or ask me again in three weeks? Three weeks being when this CR is going to expire. Right now, 71 or 71% of people, I got seven votes, 71% of people say, ask me again in three weeks. So, you know, the, it could it could change depending on what what happens between now and February 15th and whether or not they do agree to the border wall or fencing or, as the president called it, whatever you want to call it. Right. So um, I, I would say I agree with your poll people. Um, and, and the reason that I'm willing to wait for the three weeks is that so the, the Democrats, the policy of keeping the government shut actually hurts primarily their constituents. People who work for the federal government tend to largely vote for the Democrats. Also, um, the a lot of the the media apparatus won't even give President Trump an opportunity to earn the support or to, you know, he's, basically he can't mm-hmm. be permitted to tell the truth about what's going on. So he was in an untenable position. And I wondered earlier this week what he was going to do about it, because I thought to myself, he's he can't get traction in the media. She now is denying him the opportunity to speak to the American people and convince them that he's right. Right. What can he do? And when he said, OK, you separation of powers, you control the Congress. I can't come in until you say so. So we'll postpone it. I thought to myself. So that means he has to open the government if he wants to give the State of the Union. Uh, but it, it, it was like a fleeting thought. And then today, when I saw the announcement, I was like, OK, the first thing I thought was, so now he gets to give the State of the Union. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's going to be able to pull it off sometime next week? I I think so. If it's not Tuesday, it'll be sometime very soon. It'll be before the Super Bowl, I would guess. Um, the Super Bowl being on February 3rd. I'll tell you what I, I do think he's going to say. It'll be very similar to his national address on television two weeks ago or whenever it was where he made it more or less about the victims and the crimes and the drugs and things like that. Um, reason being is because when you make those points known and you keep repeating them, that's when you really bring the people in off the fence, no pun intended, mm-hmm. uh, on this issue because then they kind of see when you put a, a face with a problem, that's when it really resonates. Democrats have done that a lot over the years, historically, really. And mm-hmm. so I think when he makes it more about the people than what it is many people say he wants you kind of win with the people you know a lot of people too this week have uh talked about how if he caves it'll be the end of his presidency and i think that's just kind of angry talk at least at this point because we know what democrats want we had eight years of a democratic president some of those years were with the democratic house and senate Mm -hmm. and we saw what transpired there so I think a lot of people realize, look, we know what Democrats are going to give me. There might be a John Kasich or somebody out there that might try to primary him, but I still like what he's doing over here, or I feel more comfortable with him in charge than somebody else. So I don't think uh, now's the time to say it's it's the end of his presidency. Certainly, we don't know. <laughs> well, okay. So, uh, Chris, I'm seconding your your statement there. I think... So first of all, it's it's seen in the light of the moment where people are upset. How why did he do this? But yeah. we don't see the resolution now. In three weeks, if you know there's another big fight about it, and the and the the Democrats say, yeah, we're still not going to give you any wall funding, then he has to pull the trigger on the national emergency. 
I think, and I, obviously I'm not an attorney, but can I just kind of pose like a hypothetical okay. to you? Okay, Chris, this is, this is the way I see it. When he first announced that he might do a national emergency, a lot of people on the right came out and said, whoa, you know, think about that. Do you want a President Kamala Harris implementing climate change initiatives mm-hmm. using in a national emergency? Do you want to set this precedent? Is this something we want to do? And then a bunch of other people came out, people who really, they're not on one side or the other. They were just like, historically speaking, this has happened 138 times since, you know, the beginning of our country and blah, right. blah, blah. And so the, the numbers came out. And then the people on the left came out with their claws and said, we'll sue you. We'll get injunctions all over the country. There's no way you're going to declare a national emergency and we're going to let that stand. So do you think that the president saw the reaction from the left and understood that the first thing they'll do is go to the wacky Ninth Circuit or someplace that's running to them? Yeah, Mm -hmm. they'll get the national injunction. But then it would have to be kicked over to the Supreme Court because it's a national emergency. There's no way they could deny uh, doing an emergency ruling on it. And in their deliberations, when he sends his attorney general over there to argue on behalf of, of the administration, they would be able to say at this point, three weeks from now, that the president exhausted every means available to him to avoid utilizing the national emergency. Where could, if he'd done it yeah. two weeks ago, that he couldn't say that. I could see that. I could see that happening. And I would imagine someone in a room somewhere... Uh, that we don't know where it's located. Probably <laughs> threw that idea out there, maybe in a bunker somewhere. Oh, the um, situation room. Yeah, the situation room. We don't know room. where it is, but it's somewhere The real in the one, White not House. the one that Wolf, you know, does his show from. <laughs> right. But, um, but the Wolf's lair. But, uh, yeah, I could, I could see that happening. I would, I would imagine someone has thrown that out there. Um, but, you know, to be honest with you, um, and I'm not trying to scare folks or whatever, I don't, the jury is still out on Justice Kavanaugh. He hasn't been there um, long enough to where we know exactly where he stands on a lot of issues. Certainly we do have his resume and we can point to things he wrote in prior opinions on lower courts, things like that. Um, But I'm kind of, I'm waiting until, you know, the end of this session before I really kind of um, determine where he might be on things. Uh, You know, there were, there were a couple of, uh, the reason I'm saying that is because I don't want anybody to think his people are going to vote for him. If you'll remember, Susan Collins, one of the reasons that she finally decided she was going to vote to confirm him was based on how she felt he was. she was comfortable where he stood on Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, you really? put one of these things in front of him. It, it, does the president have the power to do this kind of thing? I just, I don't know really yet where he would be on that. And maybe there's information out there I can do my homework and try to uh, educate myself on. Uh, but I don't have enough information in front of me right now to do that. I think your warning of caution and trusting that he's where we hope he would be is warranted. I mean, look at the disappointments we've experienced Roberts. from Justice Roberts. Yeah, it's been uh, it's just been devastating, really. It's been and the speculation about him being blackmailed right. and all of that is so uh, it's so untoward. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like it's just it's a really horrible situation with him. Um but there's that. Uh, the, I'm glad you brought that up because now that brings us to the notorious RBG. Oh, yeah. Apparently, she's alive and kicking and ruling on things from her bed at home. Um, do you think that part of the reason Nancy Pelosi isn't interested in having the State of the Union is because RBG can't be there and it kind of shows a glaring hole that will be filled by President Trump? It, it, it very well could be. And, you know, to be honest with you, if he, let's say at some point, uh, you know, Ruth will no longer be with us, either you know, at the Supreme Court or on this earth. 
and the president, maybe a President Trump, maybe his successor, is going to have to be the person to, to name that replacement. Uh, if President Trump were to nominate someone like an Amy Coney Barrett to mm. replace her, I mean, if you thought the Kavanaugh hearings were a circus, it's going to be, I, I don't even know if a word exists yet to describe the confirmation hearings that we'll see if he tries to replace the much-beloved uh, liberal justice with someone that is arguably... Um, you know, staunch conservative on issues. But to be honest with you, I thought that's what he was going to do when he said he was nominating Kavanaugh. I actually was watching that with my wife, and I was on vacation that week, uh, and we were watching it on the television or the telly. And Mm -hmm. I I turned to her and I said, well, okay, he's going to nominate Barrett to replace Ginsburg. We'll see when that happens. And so I still think, um, you know, that's the strategy. But, you know, um, Ginsburg has been there before, and she's not necessarily provided the best optics um, for other presidents. You know, when when the State of the Union, when President Obama was still in office, he was, mm-hmm. you know, there was that shot where it, it turned to her, and she was asleep. Yeah, and she, then it, and yeah. she'd be asleep again this time as oh, well. Oh, sure. She's elderly, and so, you know, I hope people don't take my comment there to mean that oh, I, no. you know, it's it's just, I'm just stating a fact well, that she's older and she really has trouble staying awake in public events. And I have, have you seen the images where she's got her head on her chest sleeping mm-hmm. and she'll be sitting next to one of the other justices and they're kind of looking at her like, you know, I can't believe she's asleep again. Right. And she's so clearly past retirement age. It's just it's it's almost stunning that right. she but she made some comments, some very interesting comments about how horrible the process was for Judge Kavanaugh and how she didn't agree with it, mm-hmm. no matter his politics. So she is a kind of old school when it comes to treatment of, you know, just people in general, treating them like human beings. But I, I'm wondering what what happens if so this issue has to be taken care of within three weeks or we're in the mm-hmm. same place where the government's not funded. But what if in the intervening time we see, you know, the passage or retirement of RBG? Then what happens? I mean, it's like we're in crisis mode every minute of every day. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, we haven't had a slow day since the Bush administration. And by that, I mean the H.W. Bush administration. It's been that long. Right. I, I, you know, I mean, with the way things are going now, I wouldn't be shocked at all. And certainly uh, it's not unprecedented. Or I don't even know if that's the word to use. It's happened before where a sitting Supreme Court justice has passed away um, during the term or the session. Justice... Um, Scalia passed away uh, early on in a uh, kind of a midway through a session. So certainly it has happened before um, whether or not they would nominate someone and confirm them to sit and be part of justices in that same session. I don't know. I I would imagine in our history that's happened at some point before. But certainly, you know, whether it's Ginsburg or whether it's Breyer or or someone at some point, you know, I mean, even Clarence Thomas has been there for almost 30 years at this point. It's, you know, at some point these people will be replaced and that's going to lead a lot of people on talk radio to tell you what we always hear elections matter. And it's more than just a person in an office. They decide all kinds of things, including Supreme court vacancies. Yeah. Elections have consequences. I don't hear Democrats saying that now, but they love rubbing it. I mean, you could be at the gas station and some Democrat would be like, well, elections have consequences. And that's why Barack Obama's dropping the mic. And I'm like, you know, 
you sound like you're in high school. Okay, now just pump your gas. Right. I, I don't even know yeah. why you're telling me that. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you about a real god that I worship. Right. Yeah. Let, let me tell you about something who could really drop a mic on you real quick if he wanted to. I've always um, pictured Jesus, I, and I, <laughs> Jesus would never do this because he was all about humility. But I've always pictured like you know he. You know how, like, if I walked out of the tomb, if I was resurrected and I walked out of the tomb, I'd do a mic drop. The random if thought. I, if I came out, I would come out, and then I would probably have to, like, you know, run around in circles and do, do like, you know, some holy dancing and, you know, stomping and all that stuff. Yeah. And then also running around telling everybody, which is why, I mean, totally off topic, but I would totally, like, I understand the people that Jesus healed where he was like, Go sin no more and don't tell anybody. Yeah. And then the first thing they do is the first oh, person sure. they see, I just got healed. That man over there, his name is Jesus. He healed me. Right. <laughs> that is so me. I was yeah. like, excuse me. I don't know if you realize, but I'm not one that used to be out the gate. Look at me now. Look yeah. at my skin. Look at it. I would be that person. Um, I, I think that's the attitude that we have to take, Chris, in all of this is that you know, the same God that did the miracles and sent Jesus and all the things that we believe as Christians, we know them to be true. He's still in control. And so in the natural, things look pretty bleak, but there's no way I'm going into this weekend downtrodden and concerned that Nancy Pelosi looks like she won. How many times have we seen someone that is our enemy look like they're triumphing over us? The Bible says that God will prepare a table in the presence of our enemies and our cup will overflow. Yeah. And then goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's my favorite line out of it. Dwelling with the Lord forever. No, no end to it. It just keeps on going. I think that kind of puts this whole thing in perspective. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I mean, government shutdowns are unfortunately more common than uncommon uh, these days. I think, I mean, I'm I'm in my 30s. Uh, this is the, you know, I don't know, umpteenth shutdown that we've had in my lifetime. I remember the ones in the 90s, late 90s. Um, and that one, the one under Clinton was actually 20 some odd days. It was the previous longest one ever. This one eclipsed that one. So the Trump administration shutdown or whatever they're going to call it 50 years from now, um, is you know probably still going to be a record setter, but I mean it 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 needs to they need to realize that if we have to work and pay our bills and make sure everything's done on time, they should too, or they don't get paid. The problem is they would have to be the ones to come up and approve that legislation saying so, and that'll never happen. Well, I mean you got that right, but. You know, um, we have a lot of problems. We also have a lot of benefits and a lot of things that we can be happy about. So we just have to keep it in perspective. Chris Woodward, thank you for thank joining you. us. Have All a right, good talk weekend. again soon. You too. Uh, we'll be back with more. You can call in at 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. More Stacy on the right right after this. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Wails of bitterness and anger issue when Republicans mention voter fraud. Democrats always say there is no voter fraud. The most recent case involves a legal immigrant using her green card to vote. Green cards establish permanent residency, but not citizenship. 
After a friend from church coaxed Hyo Suk George into registering to vote using her green card, she voted illegally in 2006, 2010, and 2016. Instead of serving jail time after her conviction, she got off with a $100 fine. The judge instead placed the blame on the election officials for not knowing their jobs. With a quarter of all the citizens of California being illegal aliens in the state of California automatically issuing driver's licenses to anyone regardless of citizenship status, we can see where the popular vote win for Hillary Clinton actually came from. There is indeed voter fraud, and it must be stopped. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Holy Spirit speaks to everybody. The problem is most folks don't listen. Lonnie Poindexter. If they do listen, they don't take it to heart or they get fearful or whatever. But when you listen and act upon it, wonderful things happen. And because a man of God heard the voice of God and acted upon it, it blesses me today and you as well for listening in. Lion Chasers, weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. It's time for truth to be unveiled. It's time to get back to God with Pastor Dexter Sanders on Urban Family Talk. Awakening and empowering everyday people to impact the world. Discovering who we are and whose we are by the Word of God. Join Pastor D each weekday at 4 o'clock Central on Urban Family Talk. And let's get back to God. Saving you money, I'm Linda Bell with the Fox Business Network. The beginning of the year is the perfect time to check in on your financial health. Dave Hanley, CEO of Tomorrow, says the first step should be opening up your eyes. And that may literally mean opening up your bank statements to see some damage that might have been done at the end of the year. If you're going to make one smart financial move this year, he says it should be checking your credit score. You can start making the changes now and they're going to pay off by the end of the year uh, or into 2020 so that your credit can be as strong as possible. Hanley says creating a budget that's realistic is also essential. Finding a way to manage it seems know how well you're doing will be important. And as part of that budget, he recommends reducing one monthly expense. It could be a gym membership that you don't use that you signed for, signed up for last January and then didn't use. It may be a habit of coffee twice a day that you could make once a day. A lot of it is going to be small things. Saving you money, I'm Linda Bell, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I need to deal with some myths about the millionaires we talk to. Myth number one, wealthy people inherited all their money. The truth is, 79% of millionaires receive zero inheritance. That's right, zip from mom and dad. They earned it all on their own. Myth number two, wealthy people are lucky. This is the one that I believed for a long time. But in reality, 76% of millionaires say that nothing extraordinary happened to enhance their wealth. No lottery wins, no stock market killing. Discipline and hard work were the key factors. As for luck, the luckiest thing in most of their lives was being born in or becoming a citizen of the United States. Myth number three, wealthy people have prestigious private school educations. Wrong again. 62% of millionaires went to public state schools. You don't have to go to an Ivy League school to do well. Myth number four, wealthy people have high-paying jobs. Not true at all. 
one-third of millionaires never had a six-figure household income in a single working year. So you're talking about people on the organized left making these huge statements about how they, you know, they, they want to tax the rich. They're, they want to demonize a group of people who, according to this guy, who interviewed 10,000 American millionaires, here is the truth that a millionaire in America is more like you and me than they are like uh, Nancy Pelosi, who comes from money, married money, and has been rich the whole time. Now, I know Elizabeth Warren didn't come from money, but she's been rich for a long time. She may be drinking beer on her Instagram live feeds, but she's, she's one of the elites in her state, and she is treated that way. She doesn't live a regular lifestyle like you and I do. And I don't begrudge her that because this is America. And if you become a politician, it's, it's well known. I've actually had tell, people tell me, well, you know, you might want to think about running for political office. You have enough name ID, you could probably get elected. And then sky's the limit. You should think of all the money you could earn and the way you could change your family's prospects. Now, first of all, um, I kind of I bristle when I hear someone say that I should be trying to work to change my family's prospects. I believe that what God has for me, he has for me, and no man can take it from me. And I have to believe that. Otherwise, when I hear rumors of, well, this one said we shouldn't work with you, or that one said we shouldn't do, you know, when I hear that, then that would make me feel concerned that, you know, this person or that person doesn't want that person to work with me or doesn't want me to be able to experience um, that blessing. But I don't, I, don't, I don't give that any quarter. When I hear someone is running around wasting their breath and their spittle talking about someone shouldn't work with me, well, it tells me a lot about them, but it also gives me an opportunity to say, you know what, God, you're bigger than that. If this is for me, you have it for me. When opportunities come my way, I know it's regardless of what anyone else has tried to do or make happen or tried to stop. You have to get that down in your spirit. Otherwise, you're easily shaken. You either believe that God is and he can control it all. He does control it all. He's working on your behalf. He's making things work out for your good in every eventuality, or you're going to get blown around like a leaf and you'll be dried up like a leaf too and crumbly. And there'll be no rooting for you. You just, you won't be able to experience anything good that you want. And that's what's going on here. People who aren't rooted, people who don't believe that God is the source really are concerned with taking from other people so that they can have more or taking from other people so they can have the satisfaction of knowing that that person used to have this much money, but now they have less because we took it from them and we gave it to people who deserve it. Well, who are we to decide who deserves it outside of you earned it, it's yours, you keep it, you know? Uh, I understand we all need to work to support our common services like roads and bridges and uh, you know maintaining public spaces and all of that, but we're beyond those types of concerns. We are in a place where one political party is literally working as hard as they can to enact some kind of Robin Hood socialism that will not bring prosperity. And we know from watching lottery winners that you can take a person who's poverty stricken, who doesn't know how to take care of money, who doesn't, who, who doesn't have a work ethic, who's used to being taken care of. And it doesn't matter how much money you give them. They're going to blow through it and they're going to waste it and they'll still be looking for more money. That's what happens to lottery winners all the time. 
Now, not every lottery winner, but the statistic is something like seven out of every 10 lottery winners is broke within six to 10 years after winning the lottery. We see the same thing happening in the NFL. Some of the guys go into the NFL and they come from poverty situations, but they hook up with a mentor and someone to teach them and show them how to keep their money and they do okay. And others are very entrepreneurial minded. They just, they're so excited that they have the means to do things that they start, start, they they open businesses, they hire people, they, they create wealth building streams. Um, And then you have people who they, they go into the NFL and they just put everything they make into cars and women and houses and, you know, alcohol, they put it in their stomach and then they're done. And when their bodies are no longer able to take the hits and they can't keep working, they don't have any money left. And they were making $20 million a year or $7 million a year, some outrageous sum that we all know, especially if you look at your household budget and you're like, well, this is my total payoff on my house. This is how much we have of a car payment. And this is how much we have in, in you know, uh, student loans. You know, if you have credit cards or whatever, whatever your, your situation is, you look at it all and you draw a line and you tally it up or you hit the little calculate button on your Excel spreadsheet. And that's how much you owe. And a lot of these athletes who end up broke are burning through a hundred times what you owe total. Every bit of your whole life could be paid off. They're burning through a hundred times that on a yearly basis. And at the end of five or six years, they're broke and their contract's not renewed. So this isn't about taking money from one group and giving it to another or coveting what one group has. And it's so funny to me that people who earn the money through the sweat of their brow, some, some of the millionaires that I'm acquainted with are people who started franchise businesses. So the first thing they did was they started working and they worked and they saved and they bought a small, tiny, teensy little house, something that they could pay off. Instead of buying a bigger house that, you know, maybe in a neighborhood they like and suited their needs. And the, the husband and the wife both work and they get enough equity in that house to use it as a part of their, so basically this, these are our assets because you have to prove to a franchise company like McDonald's or something that you have enough assets that you're not, you're not working, doing this job, trying to make house payments. That's, that's what they're looking at. You're an entrepreneur. You're trying to put money into a business so you can grow it. And they want to see the potential for you to own more than one restaurant. So you have to really present a financial picture that is sharp and well thought out. So they buy a smaller home. They buy cars used so that they don't have to have car payments. And then they save everything that they can so they can get together that franchise down payment. So they've been making wise choices for years. And then they finally get their franchise business. And in the beginning, the husband and the wife are working there. They're the two primary employees. If the store is open, they're there. They're taking shifts, working there. And everything that comes out of that place, if they're, they're, they're maybe eating there, you know, three meals a day because they have to make sure that the franchise is up and running and it's stocked with food and people are there to serve the customers. And after a year or two or three of that, then they have a staff that they trust and people rotating in and out and they know the business inside and out. And now they're not both there every 24 hour period working these huge shifts. Now they've moved into a position where they're starting to turn a profit and they can see on the horizon the possibility of this being really financially lucrative. By this point, how many years have passed by that these people have been working and they now have a franchise, just just one store 
that's turning a profit and their net worth is over a million dollars. You're telling me that people who've worked like that, people who've poured their blood, sweat and tears in their time. We're talking about people who they haven't been on vacation. You know, they, they haven't they haven't bought all the extras and the fun stuff. They're not living like paupers, but they're not living high off the hog. They've made all of these sacrifices to get to that place. And now that they finally have some money, Nancy Pelosi and Elizabeth Warren and Alexandria Cortez are going to come in and take it from them. They're going to say, well, you know, you've been in franchise business for 30 years and you own eight McDonald's in your region and you're worth $52 million because the McDonald's are worth that much. And so what we want to do is we want to implement a 14% tax on your net worth and you will pay that to the federal government in a lump sum because you have too much money. You flew on a helicopter and landed on a pad one time and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez knows about it. That's what we're talking about here. That couple is just like you and me, only they made better choices than, you know, than I've made, certainly, because I'm not in a position to buy a franchise. Now, there are businesses like Chick-fil-A. You don't have to own your home free and clear, and you can actually, if you have, I think it's 10000 or 20000 something like that, if you have that, you can put a down payment on Chick-fil-A, and you can own, own a franchise. Um, their, their terms are easier. Um, but even then, I just think it's funny that someone will take very little information about another human being and they'll say, oh, so you own a Chick-fil-A? Well, lucky you. I'm glad you're independently wealthy. What? It's, it's that kind of nasty, negative low down dirty attitude that's the reason why the person who's talking is in the position they're in. I've never met a multimillionaire or a billionaire. I've met a, a few billionaires and and just doing this job. And they all are single minded in one particular thing that I've noticed. They're incessantly optimistic. I had one of them tell me you have to be optimistic about the economy. Because if you're pessimistic about it, what is there for you to look forward to? What is there for you to invest in? What are you doing in business? You have to be optimistic about it. You have to see that even in a downturn, there's money to be made. And after every downturn, there's an upturn. So what are we doing as Christians supporting people in office who want to make blanket statements about every person who's earned something and they want to go and take it from them? It reminds me of in the Bible where you have the story of the talents and you have this wealthy guy. He's going on a trip. And so he brings his servants in and he gives each one a certain amount of money, gold, to do something with while he's gone. And it's clearly a test. And so the guy who's given the least amount of money it takes it and hides it because he's like, I'm not losing this money. I'm going to hide it. And when he gets back, I'm going to give him what he gave me. And he's the one who's treated the worst. He, he has the money taken from him because he didn't actually invest it. The other two invested. And so it, if a person is only looking at how they can take from other people, then how can God bless that? How can God bless your desire to take from others and in order to make sure they have less than what they have, as opposed to you saying, God, what, what am I doing with my resources? Does this please you? Can I do more with what you've given to me? Can I make 
more out of what I have here and turn that into something that, that, you know, can bring glory to you and also, you know, bless me and my family. It's two totally different mindsets. And so I know in this listening audience, we don't have a lot of people who are running around worried about what other people have and want to take it from them. But it is an opportunity for us every time these democratic socialists get to flap in their gums about what they want to take from this one and take from that one. It's an opportunity for us to evaluate ourselves and say, what am I doing with the gifts that God has given to me? And how can I make that gift better? How can I, how can the Lord bless what I have and increase it? And not prosperity gospel, nothing like that, but uh, it's actually biblical for us to take what God has given to us and use it and grow it so that we're able to take care of ourselves and others to be able to do for other people. So, you know, I love the video. The guy's name is Chris Hogan. He's, he just happens to be black. He's a really, it's a great video. I'm going to post it so you can find it um, and watch the whole thing. It's short, like all PragerU videos, very well done. And in it, he just talks about the secret ingredient to becoming a millionaire in America. And he said the secret ingredient is nothing. There's no secret to it. You just have to pick a business that you're interested in, that you're passionate about, that you are not going to give up on and do it to the best of your ability and live wisely. And either through your investments and savings in your 401k or your investments and savings in the market or by simple virtue of starting a business and working at it and giving it your all and making smart choices, any American can become a millionaire. There is no secret ingredient. If there's a secret ingredient, I would say it's praying over your work. But you ought to be praying anyway, so. <laughs> I'm not interested in becoming a millionaire, but I am interested in the weekend, which is what's dead ahead of you. God bless you from the heartland. Thank you for making American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk your home. We'll be back with you on Monday. Get in the pew on Sunday and get recharged and energized by what God has for you. See you then.